This is The Hard Move. Prepare for the worst with us on our spooky October special, as John and I become 23, brave, athletic, and smart, as we are approached by murderous ghosts and choose. Um, oh, this game is not fair. It is super unfair, and that's the point. It's a horror game. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> if it was any fun, it would be the perfect <laughs> RPG. Game Jam. I smell yep. a Game Jam. Is that is that bad? Is that, yeah, is that <laughs> is that the one where it kills me? Like, My apologies to my podcasting audience. My name is Sydney Icarus. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm an RPG designer and descriptivist. My guest today has long been a tastemaker for my time in RPGs. From the vibrant space opera of Lady Blackbird, to the claustrophobic intimacy, also of Lady Blackbird. He has shown me so many wonderful new ways to experience PBTA, and I'm excited to bring that to you today. Their latest release, Aegon, is now available in game stores, POD, and itch.io. It's an absolute pleasure to introduce to you John Harper. John, can you please uh, introduce us to who you are, including your wonderful voice and your pronouns? Hello, I'm John Harper. Uh, my pronouns are he, they. I'm a game designer in Seattle, Washington, and uh, yeah, I just released I just released Aegon, a game of Greek myth mythic action in the vein of uh xena and the fast and the furious um and i'm very excited to be here to talk about pbta stuff today i am uh and dyed in the wool old school massive pbta fan from day one so uh it's it's an honor to be here to dive deep into the workings of of moves and and uh one of the more interesting pbta designs i think I, uh, I didn't have the opportunity to do it, but I wanted to go through every uh, like first-generation PBTA game and look at all the ones in which you're listed as a playtester. Uh, <laughs> I, I imagine that it would be a few, because uh, you, were, you were part of that sort of core community uh, in the development. Um, how, how was it being a part of that sort of central PBTA uh, growth? It was really exciting. Um, I, I had known Vincent and Meg. Previously, we were, we were friends in, in real life, uh, but also in the same game design community. Uh, so there was a lot of sharing of, of design sketches. And, you know, I'm, I've emailed you uh, a, a thing I'm working on. What do you think of this thing or that mechanic or whatever? And um, lots of discussions on forums. And, and it was just a very engaged time um, of like di- very direct communication as, as designers. Um, and one of those days, Vincent mailed, uh, I think, the Brainer playbook maybe and the angel i think um and said hey this thing seems to be catching in my brain what do you what do you think uh and it was just it just hit me like a truck you know as as soon as i saw that structure that when you x roll y and choose and it was like you could just feel it you know like this something has been unlocked here this is a this is a way of communicating uh game mechanics that is feels just um kind of essential um so, right. uh, yeah, I started, my brain just started, the wheel started turning and, um, I was already hacking like right then, right when I got the email, I was writing moves and thinking about it and like just completely, completely on board. I, I think that has been a lot of the value of PBTA is that like it's invited us into, to hack, uh, like right from the start. I think a lot of people would share mm-hmm. that. Also, interestingly, this is one of my favorite PBTA games and I, put the call out on Twitter. Okay, who, who wants to talk to me about this? And, and you very gratefully came to me. Um, so, would you, would you mind telling us uh, about Murderous Ghosts? Yes. It is also uh, one of my very favorites. And one of the first um, hacks, I guess you could call it, of, of Apocalypse World. Um, or, of one of the, among the early ones, there were several. But uh, yeah, it, it is a game uh, originally designed for two players, but 
there's we'll get into that maybe um where uh one of you plays an urban spelunker that's lost in the sub-basements of an abandoned factory uh that's haunted by murderous ghosts um and the other player plays the role of the mc who plays the ghosts uh and they each the the spelunker and the mc each have win conditions that they try to hit uh which is somewhat unusual for rpg play but in this game it makes a lot of sense and it's a short short and sweet one shot you can play um very quickly uh find out if the murderous ghosts murder you or not uh and then and then wrap it up it, it originally came in these nice little booklets uh that fit into a dvd case and so you could just sort of pull it out of your bag and plop it down and we did this a bunch uh, at cons and things we just sort of grab a table and play murderous ghosts real quick while we were waiting for something and uh it's 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 a really interesting interpretation of the uh, PBTA formula. And also, at the time, there weren't a lot of these sort of super lightweight, just two-player tabletop experiences um, that were intentionally designed for that. Uh, so it was refreshing to see a product aimed for at, at that thing that delivered on it so well. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think um, one of the things that's structurally very different about it, and, and as you say, the the... Uh, what I've been calling the duet space or the the one and one um, space in design has exploded. And it's a really huge part of each design now and it's fantastic. And I think it was um, uh, about 30 to 40% of the uh, sad mech jam games were, were mm. duets in some way, which was uh, mm-hmm. wonderful to see that explicitly designed for. What I find really interesting about Murderous Ghosts is that they're individual booklets. Um, there, there, is a, there is a player book and an MC book. And uh, structurally, um, I, I I find it interesting. I guess I, I want to get your thought on this. Um, are there spoilers in Murderous Ghosts? Like, can you can you spoil mm. the game for people? That's a good question. Um, w- this is something that we talked about actually. Uh, I think I Jonathan Walton and I played this for the first time uh, together, and we neither of us had played it and had just sort of glanced at it and. Um, we played it in, I don't know, it was like maybe 40 minutes or something, and it was great. Um, and we kind of wanted to just go again, like swap books and just go again. Um, and just before we started to do that, we had the, the same thought. And I remember we had we ended up not playing again because we had this long conversation about um, the first blush of it versus have, playing it multiple times and mm. knowing the entries and things like that. And I think there are – this is a design space that I really love because there are kind of spoilers – um, for, for just to be more clear for listeners here, like the booklets have numbered entries, uh, and they don't share numbers. Um, so as a player, you might do a move, uh, because the MC has instructed you to turn to move six or whatever and do that. And then when you do it, you, the move might say, uh, tell the MC to read entry 32 or whatever. And so you're sort of pat handing, um, back and forth the duties of who's reading the moves and who's sort of prosecuting the mechanics. Um, so having played it multiple times, you know that they're very likely you're going to hit entry four uh, and entry 16. And there's some more common ones, but there are also these outliers that you might not find unless you play several times, because the way you get there is kind of specific. You have to go to this place first and then there, and then, and it might be like a third tier sort of place to find. Um, and those are really fun to discover just sitting and reading it straight through, I think does would kind of do it a disservice to some degree. Um, but I did want to point out um, it, the last entries in the in the MC's book um, are called "What Ghosts Do," and the other one's called "What Ghosts Are," and they are all. There's a series of leading questions. They're 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 not answers. 
So mm-hmm. in that sense, there's no spoiler because the MC has to answer those questions for themselves. You can't read this and like learn the secrets of ghosts by reading this. You, you would, you're invited to create those answers um, through these wonderful leading questions, which are really well written. I, th- I think there is another reason that I want to get into when we've sort of spoken about the moves, about why uh, why I don't think it, it spoils itself. But I also do agree that, like, oh, if there's a part of you that thinks this sounds interesting, uh, dear listeners, you should run out and, and just just do it. <laughs> like, just give it a go because it is. We we won't we won't be ruining the experience here, but it is something that's beautiful to discover through. Um, I've described this John as the only RPG that's ever made my teeth hurt because it was mm. so tense and so yeah. like uh, un- uncomfortably horrifying in that in that beautiful way. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because we uh, every time we've played it, we've gotten creeped out to some degree or another. And virtually, except for one time, I've I've never played it under like what you call good conditions. I've always played it in a loud hallway or at a bar or whatever. And still, it's a it's a machine that provokes creepy, spooky feelings. And um, you know that was a, a long for many years. It's been the topic of many many forum posts. And I'm running this horror game. How do I spook out my players? And it's all this sort of manipulative stuff, which can be fun, but it's you know, lights and music and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this game, you could play in a brightly lit hallway with people like shouting and it still made my spine tingle uh, just because of the nature of what we were doing. Uh, it really delivers on that. Oh, that's phenomenal. Um, probably one of my favorite lines is that the player book opens with, uh, tell the MC that you're 23, brave, athletic, and smart. Um, and and yeah. that between the two of us, you are those three things. Uh, would you like <laughs> to read for us the move that we are discussing today? Yeah, yeah. There there are several that fit this model. Maybe maybe we'll touch on them. Um, or maybe not. Maybe we'll leave them for people to find. But uh, one of the earliest uh, things that you might turn to as the player in your booklet is uh, entry four. And it's when you encounter a murder, murder's ghost. Uh, so the MC would say, turn to entry four, read it, and, and tell me tell me what's up. So the move says, what do you most hope it doesn't do? Meaning the ghost. So now I get a list of things I hope the ghost doesn't do, and I have to pick one. Look at me, reach out to me, speak, or stop still. You can ask the MC questions before you choose. Very important line. I'll probably drill down into that. Uh, then it says draw, which in, in this game you use cards instead of dice. Um, and you can bust uh blackjack style so there's a kind of push your luck thing happening but it's it roughly maps to the apocalypse world um dice ranges uh so i i i ask the mc questions then i choose so i say i hope the ghost doesn't look at me (laughs) i really hope it doesn't do that then i draw uh if i draw well it does none of those things and i tell the mc to turn to entry 13 in their booklet if i draw middling result um it does one of the other things it doesn't look at me but it does one of the other ones. It might reach out or speak. Um, I I choose, the player chooses which of the other things it does. Uh, and I tell the MC which one. And then I tell the MC to turn to entry 15 and choose option B, which I love. There's the, there's a lot going on there. Like the player picks and then tells the MC what, where to go and then tells them which thing to pick off a list, which is interesting. Um, and then if I bust, if I get a, a miss, essentially, um, it, of course, does the one I hoped it wouldn't do. Uh, and I tell the MC which one it is, um, and then tell them to turn to entry 15 and choose option B. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a structure, a move structure designed around a sort of negative outcome. Um, mm. I, I, what, what do I not want? Um, which is an extremely fruitful 
design space for Apocalypse World moves that is almost entirely ignored outside of Murderous Ghosts. It's very rare for people to write moves this way. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a beauty. The other thing it does being a negative question is it does that beautiful PBTA exclusionary thing where uh, when you choose one, you are specifically not choosing the others. So there is a moment where like, uh, reach out to me is not stop, look at me, and then reach out to me. It is like reach out to me as it passes in that in that like Ghostbuster sense of um yeah uh, or yeah. like the, the the librarian ghost that just whispers the sh as she glides <laughs> past. Um, it's not. Yeah. It's it's such a uh being a singular interaction like that makes it focus so much more on that one bit of engagement between the player and the ghost, and mm -hmm. I I love it so much. Um, it really drills down too into a lot of the, the underlying chassis of this game. And in fact, the wind conditions have to do with, with being spooked out is, is part of that. Um, but a lot of the underlying chassis really drives up each of the player and the MC to choose things that they, that they find spooky. Mm. And it's constantly asking you to make those kind of decisions. And this is a very explicit one, but it's under the hood of almost every moving part of this game. Um, because as a designer, Vincent and Meg here aren't trying to like read your mind and figure out what's going to be really spooky, but they can give you the opportunity to name it yourself. And then of course it's going to be spooky to you because you picked it. Uh, PBTA moves are often explicit about what their choices mean. This, uh, this does not, this is, these are totally fictional choices about fiction that we probably haven't established up until this point. As you pointed out, move number four is like the first thing that happens when you see a ghost. Um, so it's, we're still figuring everything out. But there is a sentence that says, you can ask the MC questions before you choose. What does uh, explicitly allowing a, a back and forth conversation between the player and the MC do to change that decision-making process? Yeah, this is, um, this is another kind of fundamental characteristic uh that's in pbta that that i think is in all role-playing um and uh i know this isn't the forge in the dark show but this is this is the um position uh conversation um in in blades it's in order in order for me to make good decisions like i want to have some concrete information about what's going on here to be able to make to make that call i can just pick but if what's happening in my mind right now is sort of murky, I don't, I can't quite picture that you've, you've described the ghost already. I kind of have an idea, but like, is it already like, how close is it really? When you said it was a hallway, how wide is the hallway? Which way is it facing? What's it doing? Like, there's all these details that might matter to me in order to make this decision. If it's far at the end of the big rusted out, uh, room, um, and it's, you know, banging away on some old piece of machinery, um, reach out to me is potentially like really not as threatening, uh, like much less threatening uh, than if I've, I've squeezed behind a rusted wall and I'm, tr you know, trying to unsqueeze myself off the other side and it's in there with me. Right. So um, I, that's, I think that's the space where uh, it, it, it lets, it lets the conversation still breathe. It's the, the game system is saying, pick one of these things, but the, then the mechanic is saying, okay, wait, but before you draw, the conversation isn't over yet. You you get to keep going back and forth. Mm. Um, and the mirror side of this, the the MC move that that calls for this specifically. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, it specifically says put your finger here in the book on this move to hold pl its place and flip to entry forty nine. What ghosts do? 
and maybe answer some of those questions for yourself so that you'll be able to answer the players' questions better when they, cause they're about to ask you some things. Because of the way that the booklets pass, uh, back and forth, in a, in a sense, player move four, um, starts in MC move three, which might ask the MC to go to seven, which can result in you going to nine, or maybe it's not seven, it's, it's another one. Um, so the, the, what we're calling the move as four isn't quite right because the fictional trigger has already happened in four, which is a ghost enters. Um, so it's kind oh, of hiding so the structure, right? The trigger has happened back here and there, there's a draw that happens before that a ghost enters. Some stuff happens in the MC's move nine, the player draws. And one of those draws leads you to four, but the other two take you elsewhere. Um, so the move shape, it's almost like, uh, I don't know the, the moves are long and sometimes overlap and sometimes break apart, but it's hard to sort of neatly snip them off and say, this is just this like apocalypse world is kind of like standalone, um, which is a kind of an illusion in apocalypse world too. Like the trigger for go aggro is going aggro, but you're doing that because uh, you seized by force and this thing happened and this other thing happened and now you're going aggro and it's this kind of chain. Mm. It is also worth noting now uh, as a player, I I don't actually know what this means. And this goes back to our spoiler conversation. Uh, I don't actually yeah, know what it means. Yeah. It it does the one you hoped it wouldn't do. Oh, that, that sounds bad. Like, that's going to spook me out. But now MC turn to 15 and choose option B. As a player, I don't <laughs> know what that means. Is that is that bad? Is that, yeah, is that <laughs> is that the one where it kills me? Like, is that the kill me? And that is a very... I, I've heard people say that one of the reasons they enjoy pbta is because triggers and stakes are so clear this game mm-hmm. obfuscates triggers and stakes but you yeah. and i both love it <laughs> yeah is is that a matter of taste or do you think there's some magic here i think it's a different part of the landscape you know there it i, I it, it's hard any conversations about P, pbta a, as an entity are very complicated right because what's under that umbrella encompasses a lot of space a lot of um uh, different experiences uh, in terms of mechanics and gameplay and everything else. Um, there's a there's become a sort of core practice that's become popular among designers, but it's not necessarily any more of PBTA's uh, identity than Murderous Coast is. They're, they're, one has just been done more. Um, so I don't think people who really love the clearness of stakes in Apocalypse World moves would automatically enjoy this because it's under the PBTA umbrella. I can imagine some people not liking Murder's Ghost because it doesn't have that feature from Apocalypse World, or vice versa. Mm. Um, that seems more less likely. Um, knowing stakes, people generally like that. But um, yeah, I think... And the other aspect, too, um, is that, for the most part, Apocalypse World-style PBTA games, the moves are driving you ever, kind of ever outward in sort of this rolling wave of fiction that, that grows and, and changes and sweeps across the landscape and is meant to sort of um, move anywhere and, and we follow the characters wherever they may go. And it sort of drives that expansiveness in its form. And the moves in Murder's Ghosts are completely the reverse. They are funnels, especially if you sit down and break apart the game, which I recommend to all game designers to take apart Murder's Ghosts and like write out the loops and things. Uh. And you'll, you'll make an interesting discovery. Um, but it's made, it's made, it's completely made to do the opposite thing and to, funnel our experiences down to a point and then end the game. Mm. Uh, so I think p- maybe that difference that we're seeing is in service to that uh, feature too, instead of 
to continue to grow and build and build, it is cutting off options and funneling things down. And if you can't see that clearly as a player, you're more likely to go down that blind alley mm-hmm. and and in the game. Um, and that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to uh, be short and sweet. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I have uh, broken this out before, and uh, it is it is a flowchart. It was a flowchart mm-hmm. that I made. I tried making on uh, a book, and then it moved to a double page, and then I had to go digital with it because it was just so, <laughs> so long. Um, there is a version of PBTA design that is becoming more popular now, which is instead of having 6 minus 7 to 9, 10 plus, uh, you have the high number being the middling result and you have the low number being a miss and the sweet spot is in the middle and the players uh-huh. are sort of choosing gambling how much they want to go into that yeah. um this game does that in a really interesting way yeah uh, it's a it's a blackjack mechanic as you said um the player chooses when they want to like clear off the cards that exist and when they want to draw the new one which is an excellent decision to make it makes yep. the the the, the quote-unquote roll that i saw the draw of the card uh, feel so much more in your control um and as as we said here the there's the the six minus or the 21 plus are both bad uh but the player doesn't know how bad <laughs> and then um it, it gets sort of better and worse there now i'm i'm really interested in the fact that our six to 12 which is our success with cost for one of a better term for pbta yeah. lingo but really the the bad but not too bad result is it does one of the others. Our bust is it does the one you hoped it wouldn't do, but both of them tell the MC to turn to 15 and choose option B. What does it mean for them both to lead to the same place, especially when they are meant to be specifically different results? There, yeah. There's a bigger question here, uh, but I kind of want to start with this and then lead into the big question. Okay. Um, so there's kind of two parts. Again, these moves are not they're not neatly divided um the the important thing that's being resolved with those two outcomes e- even though they have the same sort of mechanical result um and just for clarity when you tell the mc to read option 15 um it it means it's doing one of those things and the the other player tells you which which it does um so it, it's it's handing it's handing the conversation back and forth again um but the difference between them is i to me i think it's back to that spooky factor um, in one case, it's specifically doing a thing I really didn't want it to do, uh, which is is potentially going to freak me out all on its own. Um, and in the other case, it's it's definitely not doing the thing that I hoped it wouldn't do, which is maybe going to give me some sense of relief from from stress. And so those have different results in that sense, uh, in terms of the effect that they have on the player in the moment, their their emotional state potentially. Um, and I don't think that should. I think that is an important thing that, to remember about moves. Um, and I think all all PBTA moves do this. Um, and if you've designed a lot of them and you've played a lot of them, you'll notice over time the, the moves that have way more emotional impact, um, that players just enjoy picking a particular thing more than another thing, even if they're roughly equivalent. There's a kind of satisfaction to one that isn't there with another thing. Um, and I think that touches on that a little bit. But also... Um, the end of the MC's part of the move here, I guess we have to kind of say this because it's part of what this move does. Um, having th- now known that it didn't look at me or it did look at me, um, it does the other things, but not that one, or it does this one thing and not the others. Now the MC has to decide for themselves whether the ghost approaches the other player directly now 
or forgets about the other player and goes back to its original doings, which is really important in terms of the survival of the Spelunker. Um, so it's, again, this chain. Like, I've chosen, please don't look at me, and I've won free that it doesn't look at me. And I tell the MC the same thing to go look at in their book as if as if it did look at me. But <laughs> there's a big difference now. Now, knowing it's looked at me, the MC is going to decide for themselves whether the ghost approaches. And of course, of course, I'm going to say they approach now that they've looked at you. Uh, so it it's it's almost like the middle, the stakes are the middle beat of the move. Um, the player's like instant dread or instant relief. And then it moves on to the finishing part of the move where the, it, re- it fully becomes realized um, mm. what happens. But it takes the MC's part to finish it off. And that's that's the big question of this. That's really what I want to like get into here because there is nothing that explicitly says as as you said like of course it's going to approach like when it when it looks at you or when it when it reaches out to you like of course it approaches that that's the next logical thing but there that is not explicit in text at all Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. the 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 text is decide for yourself whether the ghost approaches the other player now it it does say choose for it to approach unless you have a very good reason for it not to uh because um this is a game about murderous ghosts like why why have (laughs) ghosts yeah but it it is the decision the player makes here about whether the ghost stops or reaches out is about what frightens them. But that does not explicitly alter the mechanical outcome of whether the ghost moves toward... Like, you're not getting plus right. one on the murder track, right? Like, it, it, right. it still goes to the MC to control the ebb and the flow of tension in this. Like, it, con- it puts constraints on the MC's next choice. Um, not mechanically, you could, though. You, you could look at it another way that it's not constraints. It gives them a cue mm. to play off of, I suppose. Yeah, no, not mechanically. Um, but if I if I have won um, the the stakes of um, it doing one of the others, uh, it doesn't look at me. Um, it reach out. It reaches out to me, uh, or it speaks, or it stops still um, without without looking at me because I've I, I got that. I hit my middle result. Um, now, when the MC decides whether the ghost approaches, I, I'm I, I'm going to try to have it approach because that's my instruction here. Um, but also, I'm now I'm not I can't say that it's looking at you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's off the table now. Um, or if it's the other one, I can't I can say it looks at you, uh, but I can't say that it reaches out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know what I mean? So there, there's the kind of um, the the way that I'm making the, I have to now make a judgment call and the tools I have to make the judgment call are being handed to me by that. The part, the player's part of the move. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's a fascinating space. Um, I think for almost every case, mo- like most of the time when this happens in play, it's going to approach and you're going to go to move 17. Mm-hmm. That's almost always what's going to happen. The game is built for that to happen, but every now and then, yeah, there's an outlier case and the specific details of the room and the ghost and the player and stuff, the MC deep down is going to have to fess up and be like, no, you know what? It loses interest in you. You're right. It totally does. I go to 13. Um, and that's really interesting. It's, it's, it, it's kind of against this. There's a modern sensibility uh, in a lot of games that everything kind of has to be fair or mm-hmm. all um, this game is not fair. It is super unfair. And that's the point. It's a horror game. It's, oh. It's supposed to be horrifying, not um, a, a fair contest of adventure. 
let let me uh, let me tell you about my character. Uh, so I had uh, in in the day that um, Sophie and I were playing Murderous Ghosts for the first time, we we just passed books back and forth um, and just played again and again and again. And mm-hmm. I, I think we got to like four or five games, and and the the fifth game was just as enjoyable, but in a very different way. And what yeah. I will say was uh, about this uh, choosing for it to approach or not. There was a point because we both knew roughly the flow of the game here, where I cannot think of a better way to put this. My apologies to my podcasting audience, but Sophie edged me on this ghost approaching for like <laughs> an hour or something. It was just we constantly and and when it's when it's not approaching, you're asking these these beautiful questions um, that like reveal the other things about the the characters, and you keep coming back to this number four, and you mm-hmm. keep coming back to what don't you want to do? And then I draw, and it would look at me, and then it would look away and move on with what it was. Doing. And and like it's just, it's not fair. And <laughs> that's because- a power move. <laughs> it is. But there are there are ver- various forms of what do you what do you hope it doesn't do that get worse. Yeah. Um, the one we're talking about is the gentlest one, but fourteen starts to get into things like my absolute favorite entry in any move, maybe. Um, which is what do you hope the ghost doesn't do in the escalated phase? And one of the choices is call me by name, uh, which I thought is you just were like pick, uh, show me what it's hiding, which is show me also what a very good one. Again, this is why this game is great. We have different uh, most fearful choices, mm-hmm. um, which is great. But but it does escalate, and there's there's like meaner versions of these moves that you can encounter as you go. Um, I, th- I think so what's what's worth noting when you when you talk about meaner versions of these moves is. That those bolded prompts are the only bit of this move that is different. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you draw, same thing. It does none of them. It does the one that you hoped it wouldn't. It does one of the others, and then the MC goes to, back to a prompt. And like mm-hmm. it is, it is textually almost the same move, except touch me, corner me, call me by my name. Like is is so different. <laughs> is so um, radically different to look at me, reach out to me speak and stop still oh it's so good it's really good it's it, it it's exactly how it should be um so mean like this, yes <laughs> this, this game is mean. there is um yeah there were there. early playtest conversations on the forums where very well-meaning playtesters who were very earnestly tried the game and and reported back and said yeah um this game has a real problem uh it's broken like the the spelunker always gets murdered by ghosts <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I think the response was something along the lines of "It's in the name." Mm. Uh, murders ghosts. Um, maybe, maybe that's a, a clue. The Hard Move continues to be supported by Patreon.com/slash/TheHardMove, and especially by Blake, Kate, and my dad. For those of you who are a part of our Patreon tiers, there's a discussion by John and I about, uh, ooh, what are we going to here? Blades in the Dark's progression system, uh, a lot of the history of PBTA and what development looked like really early. We talk about the regiment. Um, there's so much good stuff that I just couldn't fit into this. I asked John for an hour of their time and I ended up recording more than two hours of raw audio. So, if you've got the time to spare and you're interested, uh, it's a great place to go. Even in this year's spooky month, demanding free labor is just ooh, far too terrifying for us. So, guests are still being paid by this Patreon. Those of you who have been able to help support us, I'm really grateful. You mean the world to me. Fellow fans of The Hard Move, this is Sean Fager. And if you need a little inspiration for a scenario or a complication to keep in your back pocket, 
consider going to LibriVox.org. Volunteer readers post recordings of out-of-copyright public domain works on the site. By searching for a general genre in the homepage's title bar, you'll gain access to a wealth of stories, ranging from under 10 minutes long to a road trip length. So if you need a spare bit of sci-fi, mystery, or ghost story to flesh out your next session, go to LibriVox.org, spelled L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X, and see what they have to offer. We have spoken before uh, on Twitter about how much Blades like protagonizes the, even though even though you are um, scoundrels and street rats, uh, it it is you know, the fact that you have stress makes you a protagonist. Um, yeah, resistance m- roles make you untouchable in a, in a sense. Mm. Uh, you're yeah. Murderous Ghost does not have that. They're like <laughs> no, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have resistance roll. You don't have you don't have uh, stress, and most of the time you don't even know what your decisions like really mean for the ghost you only know that they're going to creep you out in a certain way uh, yeah and that's very beautiful and i think all of that too the thing we haven't touched on um which is another important part of the game is you are an uh, an explorer in an unknown space mm. and i think a lot of this stuff there's other moves that do it too but the things we've touched on um add to that too of of not knowing what's around the next corner not having a good sense of the layout of the place you're in um, making bad choices maybe about where you turn next, the kind of thing, the kind of ways that explorers get in trouble mm-hmm. w- without ghosts involved, <laughs> um, uh, kind of are still there. They're still present in the systems um, and in some of the specific moves too, but just almost all of these systems are instilling a bit of confusion and doubt and uncertainty into the player. Uh, and there's a little bit of bleed maybe happening where you, you can have some little sense of, what it's like to be down in that dark weird warehouse um, and lost and uncertain um, just because the moves themselves are making you kind of go, well, I don't know where this is leading. <laughs> and your explorer is saying the same thing about that, that hallway they're looking at. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and uh, as I said before, I have flow charted out what murderous ghost looks like um, when it's broken out into its strings and, and it is still, it is still like confusing. It still has turns and weaves and, and that sort of stuff. Even if you, it, it, does remind me of like those uh the horror stories of the old houses with floor plans that like shift and that even even if you know where murderous ghost is going the minute the mc opens their mouth and describes the ghost in a different way it it changes that whole experience and you know where you expected the uh eyeless ghost of a blacksmith in the corner working away at some haunted forge uh when they instead talk to you about the young girl that you catch out of the corner of your eye like the game has changed even though we're still using the same moves and i love that yeah it's so wonderful yeah oh that reminds me uh so there's another publication of this game uh the murderous ghost party game uh and it's explicitly written for uh an mc and then a group of people together play the spelunker Mm. um and i got to do that at pax one year um meg and i did we had a room full of people and a table and we had sort of like a surrogate person from the audience to be the spelunker to like do the card draws but everyone in the room got to sort of collectively make decisions and um so now it's on meg and i as the mcs to like try to spook out the most people we can in the room (laughs) as a thing uh which was really fun and and we we got to dim the lights the enforcers were so great they came in and like helped us like you know customize the lights in the room and stuff but um but meg did this great thing where um when one of the ghosts spoke they what they talked about was the ghost that they're afraid of. Oh, that that's the halls good. of the, of the place. And that was just like, 
I mean, it was just the best move to make where the, the ghost confides in this bullet. You have to help me. Something, cre- something creepy is around here. And I'm just like, oh no. <laughs> it's enticing you to, to lay that ghost to rest, right? To like try and do something mm-hmm. to help them. And then, oh, maybe I could win that way. And then, of course, that ghost is murderous <laughs> because ghosts are <laughs> ghosts are murder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very good. Uh, I have, I have feelings on the, party game aspect um they are not particularly like positive like it's not it's not the way that i enjoy playing murderous ghosts i want Mm -hmm. it to be two two people uh at a table at a con or in a bar or something like that i don't really want to play murderous ghosts with with 30 people even if just because like for me being scared is an intimate experience and not yeah yeah yeah. a social one um they're they're very very different experiences yeah Um, the, the the room version is is everyone laughing through the whole thing? Really, it's it's very fun to mm. to just have nervous laughter and also actual laughter. It's it's very cathartic as opposed to the two player games, which can be like genuinely very horrifying and dark. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Maybe I should try a party game version. Then that sounds yeah. They're they're very different experiences, and I and I think um, it's totally fair to to have a massive preference in that case. <laughs> it makes sense. Um. Number eight, for example, uh, what's the worst part? Ends with uh, you can pick another of its own choice of your own choice. Why yeah. is it important that this number four? What do you most hope it doesn't do? Doesn't give you your own choice. What What does it mean to sometimes offer the player a blank space and sometimes take it away? I think the reason I ask you is specifically, I am seeing more and more in PBTA the games leaning toward always including that blank space, like explicitly including. Um, you know, uh, you, you, your gear is uh, a shotgun, a revolver, a knife, or something that you choose. Um, what, what does it, what does it mean to have these spaces explicitly given to players, and why does move number four not provide it to them? This is a PBTA topic that is very near and dear to my heart. I'm very glad you brought this up. Um, there's a, there's a concept that I tried to articulate um, about. Uh, gaming, but but Apocalypse World was the the example, um, and the name that I gave to it was uh, Crossing the Line, which is a bit of a bad choice of words back then because it kind of sounds like you know you're doing something, uh, you've gone too far, you've, you've said the wrong thing. I have to um, say this is my most quoted piece on PBTA. I, I refer back to this blog post on Crossing the Line more than any other writing on PBTA because I love it so much. Okay. And well, I cool. Is, yeah. I, I assumed you, you would be familiar, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to assume. Um, but the idea is, is, is simple. It's, it's, uh, if, if I do it, especially within the structure of a move, um, and I, and I'm picking something from a list, uh, in Apocalypse World, um, the, the, I, I might be scavenging in the ruins of some place and I roll the scavenge in the ruins move and the outcome could say you find uh, an item worth two barter, um, say what it is. Uh, or it could say um, you find something, say what it is, and the MC will tell you how much barter it's worth or etc. There's a bunch of different ways that can go down. Um, in the Apocalypse World framework, because it's cinematic action adventure uh, where my, I'm playing this very like potent protagonist, um, it feels weird to me to author the contents of the box that i find mm. uh i feel like i sh- i should be i should struggle and fight and knife a guy in the neck to get the box and when i open it i've ar- i as a player have already done my part of putting myself in danger and struggling and killing someone and you know 
was their life worth this stupid box? And like, I want to pass the conversation back to the MC and have them tell me what's in the box, that it's dusty and empty and has an old photograph in it or whatever. They're, they, they get to contribute now because I've walked my character all the way up to that point. Um, and often that post gets interpreted to say crossing the line is always bad and you should never do it in any game. And which is not true. Uh, and I think this is a great example of that where you in murderous ghosts, even though I'm very invested, like inside my POV of my, uh, spelunker, um, I almost always am making choices out of my character's own experience and not saying what the next room looks like or what the ghost really wants or what their secret is or or anything like that. I'm not stepping fully outside my character, uh, in those ways. And I think these moves, uh, plus, um, 32, which I'll touch on, um, they, they kind of form a spectrum of playing with that line, uh, that line concept. So with, and, and it's also telling that four is likely to happen earlier in play than eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, or my earlier experience is going to be, uh, this kind of, um, unknown, like uh, th- this might be the first time I've seen a ghost and it's very uncertain and there's a lot of questions, uh, to be asked. And then at the end of the day, it's just, it's, it's behavior. But when we get to eight and I have to answer from my point of view, and this is another interesting thing about this game. It says, what's the worst part? It's unclear gonna... whether I answer for myself or for the Spelunker. Yeah, it's very yeah. unclear. When it says, uh, um, what do you most hope? It doesn't do, it does not. Yeah, it is not clear. It doesn't specify. Yeah. Uh, I, I think doing it in, in an immersive role-playing way and answering for a character you invented in your head is really fun. And answering for yourself is really fun. So yeah, it's fine. Do, yeah. do it either way. Um, but in this case, it's saying uh, before it's internal. It's like, inside your own terrified heart right now what do you what do you hope it doesn't do what do you hope and now it's saying you're looking this ghost is coming at you it's interacting with you it's doing whatever it's doing um what's the worst part of you you are seeing these things i've described the ghost it's it's empty eye sockets it's it's uh dripping with with uh gore etc 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 um what's the worst part of the thing that i just said and because i'm reacting to the thing the mc said it's possible in this structure that the MC hasn't said anything about its hands, its smell or its voice. Um, or it said something very specific about the, uh, the way that every time it moves forward, its face changes to a different face. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can go, Oh, well, that's the worst part. It's his face. Yeah. Or it has said that it's tied entirely with chains and all of those chains are tied to other ghosts. And every time it moves, it draws all the other ghosts closer to me. And I go, well, it's the chains, but that's mm-hmm. not on the list. <laughs> the the form factor of uh of having two separate choose your own adventure books do you think that is a part of the obfuscation that we've been talking about um that that comes naturally with horror or do you think that's bringing something else i think it's both uh there is definitely that obfuscation factor um and there's a little bit of uh anticipation too, where, where you, uh, this isn't the basic move sheet. Um, the fact that it's a booklet and it, it means I have to say, I've picked this thing. It, um, I'm supposed to tell you turn to 31 and then you have to sit and wait while this other person goes page, 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 and you're just waiting for them. What are they going to say? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that it's a booklet, I think that, ma- I think it does matter that there, there's that little, there's, there's anticipation of something horrible. There's, 
what are they going to say next? They, they don't just sort of look down at the sheet and go, oh, it says it right here. That you have to watch them turn, <laughs> turn the pages and then look and scan. And generally people will like read to themselves first uh-huh. and then read it out loud. And so you get to watch them read it and make a face. <laughs> the face that goes, oh no, I'm so yeah. sorry. And then you have that level of anticipation happening. Um, yeah, I think, I think the form is doing a lot of work here. Uh, and, and also it does a really clever trick. Like you said, the first time you played it, um, you just, you, it's very obvious that we swap books and play again. It doesn't say to do that. Uh, but of course you would like that's, I mean, that it's perfectly obvious. We have, put, have our little booklets. We played it. Am I really going to flip back to my beginning of the one I'm holding and go, let's play again. Of course you're going to trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to think of any role playing game like before this, that where, swapping gms is not only effortless but it's the natural thing to do next mm-hmm. i don't it's hard to think of a game that ever made it and the obvious thing to swap gms it's usually such a chore and nobody wants to do it and um there those booklets i think make it almost inevitable yeah Ooh, i want to write a version of this game for cons where you play one versus the other and then the natural thing to do is to swap booklets and then you go and find other people. But instead of there mm. being just two, there's like seven different booklets. Ooh, and so I like that. All the different like uh, uh, the combinatorials or whatever. of or Yeah. Combinations is a word. Said. Uh, all the different oh, combinations. I, I've, I've played red and blue and red and purple. What have you played? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, that's yeah. so good. Oh, I love are, that. are you the stone golem? I'm looking for the, for the hedge <laughs> witch. Oh, let's. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. That's, oh, that I so love good. that so much. Uh, mm, I okay. guess. Game Jam. I yep. smell a Game Jam. I have 12 <laughs> months until uh, Big Bad Con is in person again. Mm, I'm doing mm-hmm. it. and then I want to do one. I am on board. Oh, I so super want to do one. That's great. Actually, here's an interesting point about, about this form factor, about the book first book form factor. It is hard to write. Like, I have so <laughs> much respect for Vincent. It is so hard to, to take your brain out and you don't you don't just get to as as you've highlighted very well done you don't just get to high, uh, to to um compartmentalize and say okay this is the this is the ghost looks at you scene because this scene is informed by the ghost doing what it would do when no one is around and this scene informs how the ghost approaches you and so you have to write these little segments of uh maybe 200 words and they all have to be standalone, but also feed into each other, and they have to loop into each other differently. It's very exciting. Yeah, they have to fit on the page, which is a non-uniform. It's a very small booklet, mm. um, which is another great constraint, as it should be. You don't want some laborious thing you have to listen to someone else read. You want this snappy, short thing that's going to land and do its work and then move on. And in those cases where you need a longer move, you can hide it by breaking it across various entries back and forth. And um but that constraint of its small size, its portable portability is another great feature to it. It feels breezy. It doesn't feel like a huge commitment. There's no setup. Um, the front of the book tells you what you're going to do and then tells you the first thing to say. Um, so it, it, there's just a lot about that form that is so not intimidating. Mm. Um, it, it would be the perfect first RPG if it was not uh an horrendous game about murderous ghosts <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> if it was any it's... fun it would be the perfect rpg in emotional terms that's maybe way too intense for your first rpg experience but yeah. 
The Hard Move was created by Matthew Grevelin and it's hosted and produced by me, Sydney Acros. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Hard Move and find bonus content including full-length episodes at patreon.com slash thehardmove. Music is by Nick Grevelin. You can find his work at nickgrevelin.com. You can follow John at John underscore Harper and johnharper.h.io for his latest story of Fast and Furious Greek mythology, Agon. Content featured in this episode is from Murderous Ghosts by Vincent Baker, published by Lovely Games. Mark experience.